0: Oh, no.
1: Martinez, the producer of the show, and my co-host, and who ran a really wonderful campaign for city council in the 10th district on the campaign of cut the LAPD by 50%. 50% of all new jobs must go to Black applicants, free public transportation, stop MTA attacks on Black passengers, no police on the MTA trains and buses no police in the LAUSD schools so here we are in the middle of another police riot another murder of another black man in this case George Floyd as someone said we have not even fully mourned Ahmaud Arbery and here we are trying to mourn George Floyd until God knows what's going to happen today or tomorrow. There is hope, which is the US empire is absolutely falling apart. The mask is off. It has no legitimacy. We have a right wing fascist in the White House. Please note, there's no Joe Biden on the scene. There's no Democratic Party fighting for Black people. They are in hibernation or in exile So you have a white fascist running things, and no protection from the Democratic Party. So that starts the problem. I want to be careful because this is a hard thing to get your head around. I have things I know are true, and I'd rather focus on what I know is true than trying to have the most macro understanding of everything. So let me start with a few things. The first thing is I know there's a wonderful poem called Harlem. By Langston Hughes. For so many years, I knew it as raisin in the sun, but that's not its name nor the conclusion. But here we go. Harlem. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load? Or does it explode? Langston Hughes understood in Harlem that the black movement would always be exploding and that the dream deferred for most black people of simple equality and being left alone in the white settler state has not been possible because the white settler state, which is what the United States is, has no capacity to not be a white settler state. We used to say the social welfare state, not the police state, but can we be clear, the United States is a police state. We say, we don't want the warfare state, we want the climate justice state, but the United States is the warfare state. So we start with Langston Hughes, I know that poem to be true. Then let's start with some facts I know to be true. I'm very honored to be on the Civil Rights Movement Archive. I'm one of probably thousands of veterans of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, sometimes called CRM Vet, and you can check it out, it's, um, I don't have the website here, but I'll get it. It's the Civil Rights Movement Archive, you'll get it. So today they have the following things that are true. On Monday, 525, George Floyd was murdered. On 526, there were 1,529 initial mass protesters in Minneapolis met with tear gas and police violence. By Wednesday, there were 1,676 protests. By Thursday, 4,392 protests, widespread protests across the nation. Widespread protests across the nation, police violence escalates, Minneapolis police station burned. By Friday, 13,128 protests. And yes, urban violence dominates the news. The National Guard called out in some areas. We're going to come back to the news. It's not news. It's their coverage of our lives. And the distortion of the press is something I'm going to go into in some detail. By Saturday, 14,000. By Sunday, almost 15,000 in 100 cities and towns. Now, urban curfews. National Guard mobilized in 15 states. Police violence against nonviolent demonstrators. On Saturday, the curfew set by Mayor city was 8 o'clock. On Sunday, it's 6 o'clock. Today, Monday, it's 4 o'clock. That's all they can do, is create curfews. He didn't say he's going to cut the police department every day. He's going to cut our hours to even walk the streets. In the interest of what? Public safety. The crisis of the Democratic Party is very central to this crisis we're going to talk about. Other things I think I know are true. First, thank God for Black Rebellion and Black Lives Matter. The whole country has been built on Black Rebellion. The Civil War was won by the North, based on Black Rebellion. The Civil Rights Movement was won based on Black Rebellion of all forms. And Black Lives Matter is today, and for the last several years, the most coherent and effective form of organized resistance. What a brilliant concept, so seemingly modest, I was there when we're talking about black power, black nation, black revolution. But black lives matter is understatedly revolutionary because in the white settler state, black lives do not matter. Something as simple as that. And then George Floyd's brother has to say, Oh, I know is Black Lives Matter. So that concept of BLM. Black Liberation Movement, Black Lives Matter is the best organized response so far to not just the urban rebellions, but an urban rebellion of the entire society. That's one thing I know to be true. Another thing I know is Black people have always led the way in that they're truly enslaved and know it. So the indigenous people. Now others may also be enslaved But they do not know it, or do not know it as much, which is why the system has always felt that Black people are the main danger, because they are, to the system. Black people have always been the most coherently oppositional. From Martin Delaney on, there's been Black nationalism. There's been Back to Africa movements, Republic of New Africa movements, student nonviolence, Black Panther for self-defense, When Muhammad Ali said, no Viet Cong ever called me the N-word, and I'm not going to fight in Vietnam for a white system of slavery against my yellow and brown brothers, you could put me in jail, doesn't matter. I've been in jail for 400 years. Those kind of voices have been silenced, and they have, and now they're coming out again stronger than ever. That I know to be true. I know that the struggle between black people and the police have triggered 99% of all the urban rebellions. In Newark, the police being of a black cab driver, ironically named John Smith, the so-called every man name, provoked a rebellion that I was in because I lived in the black community. Now, when I said I was in, I wanna be careful. I do not think that white people should be throwing rocks I don't think that white people should be doing anything but supporting black people. If black people choose to throw rocks, that's their right of self-determination. If they choose to retreat, that's their right of self-determination. If they choose to arm themselves, it's their right of self-determination. We can't have one white person throw a rock through a building and have a police shoot a black person in response. That's my view. I think every white person should march quietly or loudly, go along with the chants, follow Black leadership. You want it. You need it. But whatever terms, and I don't think it's inherent in the term anarchist, that you can't be respectful of Black leadership. I don't think it's inherent in the term anti-fascist, that you can't be respectful of Black leadership. But if you're not respectful of Black leadership, I consider you a racist and a reactionary. I think you should not be marching unless you should march with the police. That's what I believe to be true. It's not necessarily true, but that's my opinion. The 1965 Watts Rebellion was from the Los Angeles Police Department. The 1992 Rebellion, Rodney King, and the white acquittals and semi-value. So today, again, we have Black rage and media racism and counter-revolution. Who appointed CNN, MSNBC, God knows Fox News, to comment on a rebellion that everybody can see with their own eyes? Just show the cameras and shut up. Only let Black protesters speak. You have nothing to say. Yesterday, I watched on, I believe, MS, NBC, when a white reporter, and it could have been a black one, but it was a white one, goes up to an angry black man in Washington, D.C. And as he's speaking, he says, I'm so angry, I can't speak. I'm so angry. I feel such rage. I feel such inability. They could shoot me down at any time. I am terrified, proud to be black, terrified. You know what the white reporter said from MSN Liberal BC? Well, what do you think of those people breaking that window over there? What the hell? He said, People are angry. Yes, but do you support that? He says, People are very angry. And then this bastard has the nerve to say, Where are you from? And the young man said, What do you mean? Are you from here? Yeah, I'm from the Black Nation. No, he said, I live in D.C. The level of interrogation of the white and Black reporters working for the white power structure is disgusting. And they keep saying, it turned violent. It was very peaceful, but then it turned some people violent. Is peaceful the compliment and violent, the bad word in a police state? What violence? People broke a window? People threw a rock at somebody who had a cannon? Oh, yeah, but you've lost the message, they say. Wait a minute, what do you mean the lost message? George Floyd was killed. Emmett Till was killed. 600 Black people have been killed in Los Angeles alone. We didn't lose the message. You purposely don't want to keep the message on. Are you saying that you can't arm yourself? And once you arm yourself, oh, now you've lost the message. The message is that the system is doing nothing except perpetuating racism and the police state. Every one of these reporters, there was one guy, I should know his name, I think he's Arab, but he was on CNBC. He kept saying at least, it was unprovoked, unprovoked police violence, unprovoked police violence. I was here. He said, well, what about, he said, it was unprovoked. Well, what about, it was unprovoked. Finally, the host, the woman had to say, okay, okay, I get it. It was unprovoked police violence. She was trying to get him to say, yes, but. Yes, but is the white people's version of no. To give him credit, he kept saying it was unprovoked police violence. But I'm telling you, the coverage of the rebellions is clearly there to support police repression and murder. One guy said, I don't know how long the police can keep their cool in this. Keep their cool about what? Why are they there? What cool? I saw a scene where finally they were allowed to use their billy clubs. And I saw, they were so happy. They picked up their billy clubs from the second they were given the order and started running into the crowd looking for every head they could beat. These police are professional murderers that is their job they're sadists they're psychopaths i mean that in the most serious way you could not do this job if you were not a sadist and a psychopath willing to kill black people because that is the job description i believe that to be true now what's the system going to do historically the u.s responded a little because of international communist pressure during the 50s and 60s and 70s. They were frightened that with all the cities going up in spokes, the communists were going around to people in the third world saying, See, that's what US imperialism does to its own black people. When we took over Columbia University strike with Harlem and the black students, I was with SDS, the New York Times condemned us. Mayor Lindsay con- condemned us. The country condemned us. You know who thanked us? Mao Zedong, the real Mao Zedong, who sent a telegram to the black students telling them to fight on. And you wonder why so many of us became pro-communist when the system was so ferociously anti-communist. Now today, there's not an organized communist movement. As a result, the United States feels a little more free but i think it's made a hellacious mistake when the united states is going to try to talk about human rights in china the whole world is going to laugh you're talking about human rights in hong kong the whole world is going to laugh when trump threatens to the whole world the whole world is going to have contempt for the united states that's one thing the urban rebellions do that nothing else will do mayor garcetti why do you keep saying Peaceful protest, peaceful protest. Why don't you say, I will not add $110 million to the police budget? I will cut the police budget by 50%. I don't care if the demonstration is peaceful, violent. You keep saying peaceful protest, meaning we know and you know, I don't plan to do a damn thing about it. You could march, peaceful, peaceful, peaceful means. We got you in our back pocket. You don't make peaceful protests possible because you have contempt for it. The Democratic Party in Los Angeles is so confident. It has the Black vote, the Latino vote. Every time you talk to them, they just say, Trump, 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 and they keep sending the police. Who are the police in New York, Republican or Democrat? They're under a Democratic mayor. Who are the police in Newark, in Chicago, in Philadelphia, in Los Angeles? In San Francisco they're under Democrats. The Democrats have led the movement for more police in every city in the country and it's the Democrats who have brought down the billy clubs on the heads of black people the most. But let's talk about Trump. Uh, Trump is a fascist. As Patrice Kohler said in an excellent interview yesterday There are white armed Trump fascist supporters, at his encouragement, protesting of all things the stay-in-place orders. Why do they don't want to stay in place? Because they want more black people to go out and get killed by COVID-19. There are 10,000 more black people killed by COVID than if it was equal between whites and blacks. Whites are only 16% of those. Who have died of COVID. Blacks are 42%. That's another factor in this urban rebellion is Black death by COVID, Black death by the U.S. white settler state. Trump's treatment of the COVID-19 virus is genocidal. He is, in this case, the primary force in the Black deaths and the white plague which he tries to call the Chinese plague. But you know, and I know, it's the white COVID-19 pandemic. Reopen, reopen, reopen. Wait, wait, wait. Blame China. Send out crazy, nonsensical scientific information to make a joke about it. The early, there's only 15 cases. It's a very, very good virus. I mean, it's very good. No one is sick. From the Chinese virus, says Trump. And now there's 100,000 dead. You'd think the Democrats could literally force them out of office now if they wanted to. But let me tell you something that I believe is a fact Trump has the will to lead. He is a forceful fascist. And the Democratic Party is a weak ass center right party that has no will. It's hoping there will be enough of a backlash against Trump that they'll get elected. But let me tell you, if Trump calls off the elections in 2020 and brings the troops into the streets, which I think he may, what are the Democrats gonna do? Go on CNBC and comment on it? The Democrats do not wanna build a movement in the streets and the Republican right wing does. So thank God, for the Black Rebellion, and thank God for Black Lives Matter. The attacks on China. I urge Black sisters and brothers, Latino sisters and brothers, indigenous sisters and brothers in particular, to fully see through these racist attacks on the People's Republic of China. It's not enough to just be against the white power structure. It was Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and SNCC, hell no, we won't go, who said, black people are a colonized people. Our future is with the nations of the third world. We've lost some of that. What is China doing wrong? One, they're beating the United States at their own game. China did a better job on COVID-19. And China's economy is kicking the ass of the U.S. economy. That's what the United States is petrified of. They say China is stealing secrets. No, China is so far ahead of the United States it doesn't even want their tired old secrets. But trust me, the United States may drop a bomb on China. I mean it. Because they keep calling the trade war, the trade war, the human rights war with China. How can you sit there and allow them to talk like that? China doesn't say they're in a war with the United States. China just sits there, tries to say this man is crazy, outproduces the United States, defeats them in science, but China is preparing for a US attack on China. And China is building an alliance with Russia. Thank God. China is going back into Africa And while some of their decisions can be debated or even be wrong, Africa is welcoming China as the only force that's trying to industrialize it, help it with technology, and yes, treat it as an anti-colonial struggle. Why is this important? Because the Black movement in the United States needs allies. Russia is an ally here. Iran is an ally. Venezuela is an ally today. Iraq is an ally. Afghanistan is an ally. But not if you don't see it. I think we have to say, cut the police by 50%. Hands off Venezuela. Hands off China. Hands off Russia. Pull your 800 military bases from all over the world at home and collapse them. Cut the U.S. military by 50%. Demands mean a lot. Because without demands, there's a danger that these protesters will be co-opted by a system that will, at best, come up with the most tokenistic responses, and at worst, come up with nothing. But if the movement doesn't know what it wants, we are in grave danger. So yesterday, the chant at the rally on Saturday was, prosecute killer cops. Defund the police. defund the police, prosecute killer cops. I would argue, prosecute the entire police department, which who are killer cops. But the point that the strategy center is trying to help the discussion about is if we say defund, let's talk about cutting the police budget by fifty percent now, another fifty percent, and then another fifty percent. Channing will talk about it more, but when we were out on Channing's campaign, I started telling people, we wanted to talk to people in the community and said, we want to have no police. People were interested, but we could tell that was not persuasive, and you'd have to be a good listener. So people said, Eric, Channing, Bridget, Barbara. I need some police. I worry about domestic violence. I worry about, there are times when I really want to see a policeman. Instead of arguing with that, we said to people, let me ask you this. Do You want police to arrest your son for alcohol in a bag? Do you want to arrest your son for loitering, for disrespecting an officer, whatever that means? for minor shoplifting or major shoplifting, jaywalking. You know all the people that have been killed for doing nothing. Don't you think that we could cut the police budget? People said, what is the police budget? We said $2 billion at least, at least out of the 10 billion Los Angeles city budget. There are other people doing studies that indicate it's 2.5 billion or three. We're very open to that. I'm simply saying so far, that's all we could find. But we, whoever says it's $3 billion, we have every reason to believe that they're right and we're there. But people said, wait, $2 billion? That's different. I said, would you be comfortable if their budget was $1 billion? They said, yeah. I said, would you be, you know, how many police there are? I said, I don't know. 10,000. 10,000 police, what are they doing? Right. Would you be comfortable cutting it to 5,000? Then people felt that we're being pretty moderate. (laughs) They said, okay, I'll cut $1 billion out of the police and cut 5,000 police. But what would happen if we tried to cut the police budget by even 10%? If any elected official tried, which they must, I'll tell you several things. Number one, there'd be armed police marching on city hall number two there'd be armed police threatening the mayor there will be armed police telling anybody who voted for that that their life is in danger and if anything happens to you don't ever call us the problem with building an armed army that's under no civilian control is when you try to tell the army that they're under civilian control they're going to laugh at you because they're armed and you're not. So how can you call the police on the police or the army on the police? They're all in it together. I am not saying we're not going to do it. I just don't want you to think that I'm naive about how hard this is going to be to get anybody, let alone Mayor Garcetti, to stand up. But that's what we need. We need one elected official to start one elected official saying I want to cut the police budget by 10% will throw the whole discussion into chaos from the point of view of the LAPD. And then Channing Martino will say, no, no, let's cut it by 50%. Other people say 70%. The whole conversation shifts, but we that's why we can't get one elected official to give a specific number Or even discuss defunding the police at any level. So back to Black Lives Matter, defund the police is the strategy. The strategy center believes that the demand for a 50% cut in LAPD is a very good tactic. Not the only one. It's the one we're choosing. Finally, I want to end with the crisis. We've discussed the crisis of Trump, discussed the crisis of the Democrats. I want to talk in particular to people in Los Angeles about the pervasive racism of the Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren forces. Where are you? Where have you been? Look in the mirror honestly. So one of the objectives of our show, Voices from the Frontlines, is to get listeners to get involved in social movements, right? Otherwise, we would not be doing the show. I would hope in the middle of an urban rebellion that 50 listeners from Voices from the Frontlines could send an email to eric at voices from and channing at the strategy center.org. So every time you'll, you just put two names on it so that way we both get it and we can work together. Why? One, because we want to direct you to campaigns that are going on, such as, again, the Black Lives Matter work that we're very active in, and the fight for the OA budget. And secondly, to talk to you about our own work inside that United Front. In 1992, there was an urban rebellion. And very frankly, a lot of the groups in the city were not unified about what they were calling for. A guy named Peter Ubaroth came around, a blonde organizer from the ruling class, and set up something called Rebuild Los Angeles. It should have been called Co-Opt, the social movements of Los Angeles. He promised a lot of money. The group started fighting among themselves over money that never came through. And what I saw is we did not have any unity about what we were asking. So the strategy center created something called the Urban Strategies Group. And we spent a year, a real year, studying what would be a comprehensive set of demands that we could place on the system. We worked closely with Anthony Thigpen, who is now the, was the director of uh, Scope Agenda, as now with California Calls. We worked with Professor Cynthia Hamilton, We studied every part of the LA economy and politics, and we came up with the frame, the social welfare state, not the police state. That's still, unfortunately, 37 years later, worse today. They did not have a two to $3 billion police budget back then, and we do now. So the Strategy set has a campaign for urban reconstruction will 50 of you want to work with us on that campaign? One, cut the Los Angeles Police Department by 50%. Number two, no police on the buses and trains, no collection of fares, only conductors, because if 50 to 60% of the people on the trains who are Black are getting those tickets, then it's an anti-Black policy and must be stopped. You just don't enforce the fare. There are so many people who have no money that whatever you charge, they can't afford it. They have a right to be on that train. And they have a right to be on that train or bus without a policeman or a conductor or anybody issuing them a ticket for 60, 20, 120 or f- whatever. For what? Being poor and being black and being Latino. So that's two. Number three, free public transportation for students. Number four, free public transportation. For everybody on the MTA buses and train. The other demand is stop MTA attacks on Black passengers, which goes back to the issue of don't collect the fare and leave everybody alone. The next is no police in the LAUSD schools. And the last is no cars in LA for a radical reduction in auto. This, the reason we call it a campaign for urban reconstruction is because if we passed everything, It would be a virtual revolution. Imagine if there were no police on the buses and trains. Imagine if you cut the LAPD budget in half. Imagine if we even cut the cars in LA by 50% on the way to virtually no cars in LA. Imagine no police in the schools. Who wants to work on this? We need you to help us because there's a movement right now called Defund the Police of which we are a part. And later I'm going to talk to Channing about his recent city council campaign. We had extensive conversations with people in the community about would they accept a 50% cut in the police. Channing got 2,400 votes, yes, in that election. But I'm telling you, 10,000 people who said, you got a good point. I'm not sure, I'm completely there, but this is not a crazy idea. I'd like to have that election and conversation today. And I bet more people would say to Channing, You were more right than I thought after what's happened. So that's called trying to be visionary, but it's also trying to have the guts to say something ahead of where people are, believing that people will catch up to it. But also, you have to understand I'm the product of a revolution where what we're proposing here would be considered moderate compared to what we were calling for in the 1960s. You get it? So campaign for urban reconstruction. If you're interested in helping us in any way, Eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com, Channing at the Strategy Center.org. Second thing is I'm asking the white people in particular who have worked for Bernie Sanders and have worked for Elizabeth Warren to take a real look in the mirror. Every time we ask you to talk about black, including Bernie Sanders, the answer was Medicare for all. Well, that's going to help black people. Well, that's a cop-out. You really mean it's going to help white people and they won't get too upset because you don't say the black word. Then they say expand Social Security, which is great, except many black people are not even on Social Security because they didn't have employment in the first place or they had so little coming in. Well, what about a Green New Deal? I ask you honestly, do you even have a clue what a Green New Deal is? And do you really think you're going to get it through a Congress anyway? But when you're asked to come down to the Los Angeles MTA, which by the way is on Vignes and Cesar Chavez, which is so far away from where most of the white people live that they think it's another country, which it is, you're not there. I was at every single school board meeting where we tried to ask the LAUSD to get rid of their one tank, three grenade launchers, and 61 M16s. You were not there. I was there when we asked the school board to stop arresting Black children for the non-existent crime of willful defiance. You were not there, but your little white kids were exercising willful defiance against everybody in the world. And it was called youthful enthusiasm. The problem is Dr. King must have spent 10 years trying to talk to white people. He tried every way he could. But back then, there were so many good white people who went down to Selma. so many good white people, like myself, but like so many others who joined the Congress of Racial Equality, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and put our bodies on the line. If there's anybody in the Bernie Sanders camp, anybody in Elizabeth Warren camp, who honestly can understand that what you're doing is racist and might wanna change your mind, because that's what persuasion means. I'm not a racist, I didn't say you're a racist, I said what you're doing is racist. I saw some great white people at the rally saying, if you don't take action, you're a racist. If you don't take action on the side of black people, the blood is on your hands. Help Black Lives Matter, help the Strategy Center, help the Bus Riders Union, You can go and find Black Lives Matter on their own website. They're doing amazing work. And there's Dr. Malina Abdul, who's just doing tremendous leadership. There's Patrice Cullors from Black Lives Matter co-chair. There's all kinds of great people doing that work. Please work with them. And if you'd like to work with the Strategy Center on our campaign for urban reconstruction, write to Eric at VoicesFromTheFrontLines.com, CC Channing at the strategy Leave your phone number and we or someone will call you back within a week to get you involved. Is that a deal? Okay, thanks.
2: I think everything you said was great, Eric. And it's one of the first times I've been at a mass rally and seen signs and not just one or two signs, hundreds of signs of white people saying your silence it's dangerous to the black community, and you must stand up and take action. I thought that was really great um, you know it's It, it was a very uh, I don't even know how to start first of all, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and twenty thousand people came out to a rally in the middle of a pandemic on Saturday. And as worried as I was, I was there to, you know, I'm part of that whole grouping of people that can catch COVID-19 more easily. And I was there because our lives really do depend on it. Um, And as you said, you know, I ran my campaign and I was just reflecting on this the other day. I ran my campaign for city council in the 10th district on one of the top demands of cutting the LAPD budget by 50%. And in fact, I'm reminded of our second debate where people were very clear by the end of that debate, that's the guy that wants to to cut the police. He said it at least 18 times during (laughs) the (laughs) turn. And whether they agreed or not, they got it. And a lot of folks, including yourself, you know, were at the debate and spending time just listening to folks' reflection. And I remember you telling me about some of the reflections. One woman said, "How I think she said something like the nerve of him to want to cut the LAPD budget, but she got it." Um, and then other people were really excited about the idea. Um, and in my own experience, just speaking with folks, because we were spending a lot of times at Albertsons and doing a lot of door-to-door, I did get a lot of mixed messages. And, and you know, it's not the first time I understood and empathized with people who actually wanted some police you know me myself you know i i've been out for i don't even know how many years because i don't even keep track of that but you know in the first years of like me coming out you know i did experience some really traumatic event of homophobia where some guy took me on the streets and took my wrist and almost threatened my life and i had to You know, I had to call the police, right? Um, Because there is no other, you know, mode of safety in our communities at the moment. So I get it. I get that we need to have a conversation about safety. But if nothing else is wrong for all of those people that listened to my campaign and had any registrations about whether it was a realistic demand to say, cut the LAPD budget by 50%, there are 20,000 people in the streets today, yesterday, the day before that saying deep, saying rightfully that, yeah, you actually are crazy, and we want to go further than your 50% and defund the LAPD, defund the police, right? And so that was one reflection. The thing that I've been thinking about and wondering about is what is it that, and I've been thinking a lot about theory, just to put that out there, right? I have been thinking about what is it that moves people in the movement that activates people, and you know we've seen protests in 2014 and 2015 that were really big, right? Uh, and we're seeing another resurgence of, of those protests. Um, and here in Los Angeles, we're seeing a lot more white people at these protests that I've ever seen. And so that is also the second part of where my mind is going, is trying to really lift up the theory of how do people get activated into the movement. I um, mean, what moves them um, and because this gets you know police shootings happen every day um, and in some instances almost every year there's at least one police shooting that gets national news um, but only a few really cause like this big movement of 20 30 hundreds of thousands of people pouring out in the streets and so that's that's where my mind is at the moment
1: See, what I'm trying to theorize is that, along with what you are, is that protest without an actual strategy to change an institution is necessary but insufficient. I don't think people understood that, like when Dr. King marched to Selma, he already had a Voting Rights Act in front of Lyndon Johnson with very specific provisions that he gave him specific provisions, That's because he got lawyers to sit down anew the Voting Rights Act who said there must be federal registrars to protect people. There must be a crime to interfere with a person's right to vote. There must be maybe 15 states that were going to have federal supervision of their elections. He had a demand first and Johnson said no. Then he went to some and created a crisis and said, pass the Voting Rights Act. Pass the Voting Rights Act. And that became the impetus, along with international support, to pass an actual Voting Rights Act. Most of the changes we want are going to take, they don't have to take five years, but they have to sit down with Mayor Garcetti and say, Mr. Garcetti, Mr. Mark Ridley-Thomas, Mike Bonin, let's go point by point. We say defund the police. The Strategy center says, says cut it by 50%. What cuts are you going to make, sir? And he's supposed to say, let's start with 10%. And we say, all right, but we'll tell you that's not going to be sufficient. But we admit, if you're really going to introduce a motion to cut 10% of $3 billion, that's $300 million. You know the police are going to go all out against you. We'll support that 10% cut. We won't give up our right to want more, but that's good. But Mayor Garcetti does not do that. Mark Ridley Thomas, so far, has not done that. So if we don't have people on the other side who say, let me sit down with you. You're right. There needs to be some structural changes, then all the demonstrations in the world do not create the the crisis sufficiently because there's no demand and there's no structure to carry that demand all the way through. That's what we're trying to figure out. You know that it took the Bus Riders Union five years of protest and it it took a legal case to put the MTA on trial for civil rights violations. I am hoping that all the people listening who have any ties to Mayor Garcetti any ties to Mark Ridley-Thomas, to Mike Bonin, to Sheila Puell, to to Janice Hunt, Hilda Solis, sit down with them and say, would you introduce a motion to cut the LAPD budget by 10%? Would you introduce a motion You're on the MTA board? It takes nothing to make a motion to not enforce the fares on the trains and buses because it's been implemented in such an anti-black and anti-poor way. If we don't have people that have the the will to meet with those elected officials, which is why we're hoping some of our listeners get involved, I fear that all the protests are going to lead to more of a police state and not an incursion on the police state. I'm for the, let's be clear, the protests are essential. The protests are creating a political crisis now. The athletes are saying, I want to get involved. But involved about what? If we don't have a clear program, they're going to get involved in giving more money to the inner city and not really having a cut and defunding the police. Prosecute killer cops and defund the police is an actual program. But now we have to get people to really dig in to help us win that program and get one elected official to say, I will prosecute killer cops. I will go deep into the culture of the LAPD to find out how deep the killer cop culture goes, which is all throughout. And number two, I will introduce a motion to cut some level of police budget right now. That's what we need. So let me ask you something, Channing. I mean, you've been. Black all your life. You've grown up in LA. What impact, like when you were there the other day, and we were all aware, by the way, from the bus drivers unit about the COVID-19, we didn't forget. (laughs) And we were concerned. You know, at some point we had to leave even because the crowds just got so thick that we realized we had reached our point. But just take a minute. What's going on with you, just on any level? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? At any level, I'd be loved to hear what what you're going through.
2: Actually, I think we're in a very exciting time at the bus Riders Union where, you know, we have been working very closely with our base um, and to get them very activated during this quarantine and meet all of their needs and all of their needs are being met and they're keeping up with school and in this last week, we had we attended a metro board meeting, a virtual board meeting, of course, and we were able to get 15 students to give public comment in uh, favor of free public transportation and stopping empty attacks against black passengers. Um, and they are now meeting almost—I mean, I want—I almost wanted to say weekly, but I think they're actually meeting more than weekly now. <laughs> Uh, and just building together and trying to expand taking action as much as can, as much as they can using their own personal context, which is very different than you know we normally do in person where they put up a flyer and they might go out during nutrition and go recruiting just random people now they 're relying on all the contacts in their phone because you 're not there is no nutrition right, right. Uh, <laughs> um, and so it's been a really exciting time. Where, And then the other thing is that we were able to send a sign-on letter to the Metro Board, and I think we got about 10 to 12 sign-ons from uh, different organizations around the city to sign Tell on. Just take a second before you go. Tell me the
1: names of as many organizations as you remember who signed our letter. Uh,
2: the people that signed on to the letter, Community Coalition, Inner City Struggle, Equal Voice of California, UTLA signed on, Black Girls Do Bike, Brotherhood Crusade signed on. Uh, there's a lot more. I can't remember all of them. Okay.
1: So that matters. See, when Brotherhood Crusade writes and says, Counter in, Community Coalition, uh, then we're going to meet with our allies who have so much going on and say,
2: Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead. Sorry, Crenshaw, Crenshaw Subway Coalition as well, uh, So the question is, we're going to write to
1: our call our allies and say, some of you are better ties than with these elected officials than we do. How can you help us? So here's a question back to you. I said to you as a Black person, as a Black man, as a Black queer man, uh, what are you thinking about? And you went right to the bus riders here. Oh. <laughs> no, no, it's interesting. <laughs> so. Is it because you didn't want to engage some of the things you're feeling, or is it because the first thing you think about is organizing, or both?
2: I think it's the, I, it's the most exciting thing happening in my life right now, and <laughs> so that's <laughs> what I went directly to. Um, but you know, our family is pretty stable. I don't want to talk too much about their personal, but you know, we've had some of the same losses that everyone has had, you know, since COVID-19, a lot of people are out of work. Some of my family members are out of work right now. um, And some are still technically employed, but their companies are not being very transparent on whether they're going to get paid the next month or not. Right. Right. Um, And there's been so many fights with companies that are somewhat unionized but their union not their union status is complicated, so they don't really have any bargaining rights um, and so that's where you know some people in my family are that's where i've heard we've also done interviews with a lot of our members at the bus riders union and a lot of them have told us that you know either they're unemployed or they they at the beginning of the quarantine decided to take a leave because they didn't want to risk their health, Um, or they're just unsure because their company is purposely being vague.
1: So this is Eric Mann. I mean, I'll say again, I joined the Civil Rights Movement in 1964. I was in the South Bronx, Black, and Puerto Rican community since I'm 18. The country's never been worse. I mean, really never been worse. They have overturned our revolution. There's a counter-revolution. I understand Trump is the main danger, but I think that the Democratic Party is criminal in its real refusal to take on fascism. I mean, he's talking about calling out the military right now. He's doing his job. He's a very good fascist. And the Democratic Party is just pathetic. And you think I'm criticizing it, I am, but I'm scared. Obama doesn't want to take on Trump, really. Biden doesn't know how to take on Trump. Even Bernie doesn't know how to take on Trump. Bernie sent me emails about $2,000 a month for something. Why is not he taking on the threat of fascism and the military state and the police state? So I don't care if I get tired of saying it, which I won't. And if you're tired of listening it, but I think there's some people out there that understand that Channing and I have been ahead of the curve on things we're trying to warn you about. Now, you can call Eric at Voices from the Front Lines and Channing at thestrategycenter.org and you can send us your phone number too. Let's work together. We need your help.
2: You know, as you said, Eric, we, we're very grateful for the leadership of Black Lives Matter and their ability to mobilize so many people. And we are trying to be as helpful as we can with voices from the front lines and with the strategy center. And we have had a politics of cutting the police for a long time. We're putting out the line of the social welfare state, not the police state, and we need your help. Our demands around free public transportation are twofold because they are around environmental justice, but they are also very much about the Black community. And don't be mistaken that every attack that's on the Metro right now is about the black community. And the black community is in crisis and they need your help. Whether you're black or not, it's time for you to step up. So yes, please do email us, eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com, channing at the And it's been great talking with you and we hope that you'll subscribe to our newsletter on our website, www.voicesfromthefrontlines.com. And with that, all power to the all people. Power to the people.
0: Friends, I'll say clear and escape my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full. my have traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this